The gloves are coming off on this newest episode of Goat Gab. Cameron and I put our heads together and discuss current happenings in the American Dairy Goat Association and then jump in with both feet to discuss some of the taboo subjects that don't often get explored. Welcome back to another episode of Goat Gab. I'm Cameron. And I'm Laura. And we are excited to be talking about, uh, we're kind of taking the gloves off this week here uh, on the podcast. We're going to be talking about some um, things that dairy goat breeders necessarily don't talk about uh, with each other in small groups or whatnot there. Uh, but there's been a lot of news today, and I expect this to be jam-packed and full of fun. What do you think, Laura? Oh, I think so. I'm really excited about these topics. Um, you know, as I've said before, wintertime tends to be a little bit slow, but most certainly in all aspects, whether you're looking in the political arena or the agro arena, life is getting exciting. And uh, this this past week has certainly had a lot of things to make you stop and go, hmm. Yes, I would agree there. Uh, like I said earlier, I have a, a cup of coffee. Uh, this goes long. I have a bottle of water in case this goes long. And then if we go super long, I also have a bottle of vodka up here on my work desk here. So um, let's have some fun, but I'm not trying to make this too long. <laughs> I, I agree with that. We all have lives that are busy. We need to get to as well. So yeah, absolutely. what's going on on your farm, Cameron? You haven't, well, so you have babies. I do have babies. We They have graduated. I really wanted to put a cute Instagram post out about how they had graduated with the little hats on and everything to outside. Um, they graduated from the basement to going outside in their warm box now. So uh, our house is goat free uh, for another 10 days or so. And they're doing well and growing well and eating well and uh, yeah, yeah, for the most part, um, the, the sable took right to the pan. We have, we had four born, uh, three alpines and one sable from two different moms. Um, and the, the sable took right to the pan. He's eating directly from the pan. Those alpines, um, they're still kind of struggling from that pan. So, uh, we'll hope they figured it out by now. <laughs> they're not Nubians. Oops. I didn't say that. Sorry. <laughs> Better put that glove back on, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely there. But no, all is fine. We spent some time yesterday. We brought all the goats out. We looked at them uh, there. We um, obviously got everything ready for stuffing or kidding uh, outside that we needed there too. So um, we're all ready for the next wave, which will begin in 10 days or so. So bring on the group of 13. Oh my goodness. That'll That's be like busy. A- it's like spread over, I think, like seven or eight days. So not too bad. Um, not too bad when we look at our due dates, but we'll just see how it is. And then we'll be milking 15 by then. Yay. So is your grandpa, is he still like in the thick of things when it comes to kidding season? So uh, no, not necessarily. He's taking a step back. Uh, obviously, as you get older, you tend to slow down a bit there. Um, but his job does remain starting those um, uh, in the afternoons. He comes over. That's how. He, that's when he gets out of his house if he doesn't have to go to the grocery store or anything. And he feeds them. He, that's that's his job, and he loves that job. So he's taking inside baby management. Um, uh, my dad and myself will take most outdoor uh, baby management. Oh, I wish I could have your grandpa for a while. <laughs> yes, from about 2003 to about 2018, he was he was the guy. Like he he did everything. Like he I credit him to a lot of our successful starts as kids, um, many winners national shows, junior national champions, group class winners. I credit his determination and his ability to start the kids on the right track towards a lot of our successes at the national show. 
Oh, very awesome. Well, he's a pretty great guy all around. So uh, <laughs> nod to him for sure. Yes. Um, besides that, um, I, I, I have in my notes here, the, I, the Russians attacked my website. Uh, it wasn't the Russians, but um, I was getting some notifications on Monday that our website was like down or something like that. And and it was weird. I didn't really know. It turns out the link, our domain was not um, either like rebuild to us or something through our website hosting site. So I had to deal with that. And that's never fun. Well, how'd you... Ooh, so like they just, the automatic renewal didn't automatically happen? Yeah, they said they sent us a bill, but my dad changed email addresses because his email got hacked. So we never got said bill and never confirmed a said bill that we received. So because of that, they just forgot to renew it. So it was just a mess <gasps> from Calmyra and whatnot. So um, it's since been taken care of and we will go back to, to life and I'll update it here in a couple of days. And yeah. Well, yeah, that would be a scary thing. You know, it we come to realize how much we rely on those websites for marketing and so forth. So I'm glad you got that figured out. Yeah, I'm glad it absolutely. wasn't the Russians. Absolutely. Yes, the Russians. Um, the last thing I have on my list here is I successfully talked someone out of buying goats from me. I was very proud of myself, too. Why would you do that? So... Uh, the biggest thing, this was a new person. They were located in California. They loved my style of the goat, which I really appreciated about them. But obviously me living in Illinois and then being in California, I really can't connect with them physically because of the distance. Uh, if you're starting out with goats, and we talk about this a lot, is you need a good mentor. You know, someone to bounce ideas off of. And and that me not being familiar with their climate, uh, being available to help with like resources and whatnot, where you can find things. You know, I would really struggle to kind of mentor them on that. So I actually said, you you really don't want to buy goats from me. And then it was the cost of, of shipping out and flying to and having that expected cost on top of it there. I was just like, this isn't a good, this isn't a good fit for you or me yet. No, maybe down the road, like when they, uh, the expense of shipping an animal that far would make it very prohibitive to have it as your first goat, I would think. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I, I, I appreciate how you like my style and whatnot, but you know, here's some recommendations in the Southern California area. And I threw out a couple names and whatnot and linked them to some farm pages, um, that, that could help you and maybe become a mentor or help you access resources and tell you what you need to do in order to raise successful goats in your area. Yeah. That's again, going back to a previous um, podcast, that's the mark of a good seller somebody who knows what their limitations are in, in helping somebody. And, and that was a good thing you did, Cameron. Another thing too, to consider is I have, and I'm not trying to brag or anything is I have a big list this year. This is our biggest list we've ever had of like 15 plus people wanting anything from bucks to does to milkers to us. And I don't know when that list is going to be empty. Cause just cause I don't know if the girls are going to cooperate or not. Um, I hope they do, but sometimes they don't listen very well. <laughs> um, but uh, they, I, I just don't know when I'm going to be able to ship a kid. And then we look, look at May kids maybe, and we're shipping kids on the, across the country and it's the West coast and there are heat, um, there are heat restrictions and whatnot there on flights. You know, I just don't want to put them through that. Um, and then maybe they don't end up getting something. Gosh. Yeah, that's hard. I did see on Facebook the other day, Cameron, I don't know if you noticed this and I don't remember what group it was. They were asking if anybody had any information about shipping animals, what airlines were open to doing that now because it was so restricted last year. And I believe somebody said that um, Alaska airlines 
and yeah. American, but it looks like there's a lot of restrictions on American. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I saw that too. And I think it was, um, you know, Mark Baden uh, on the Pacific Northwest who was talking about Alaska. Um, and then I know Scott Bice had done some shipping too as well. Um, Redwood Hills had did some shipping as well. Um, I have yet to connect with them because I'm fortunate that a lot of my buyers are in the Midwest or they're willing to drive. And I think if you're getting your first goat, I really think you need to go and and see the facilities of another breeder. Don't you agree? Oh, totally. Yes. You know, even even if you think you know what you're doing and you think you've read, I don't know, all the Pinterest pages or whatever you're getting resources from and have seen pictures, actually seeing things in person, how it's run, that that is worth a million to help you get started out. Yeah, I, I agree there. Uh, besides that, nothing else. Laura, what's happening on your farm? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just nothing. Um, you know, I've I uh, got big boxes delivered to my house this week from Jeffers, from Valley Vet. So I'm all stocked up on everything I need as far as kidding supplies and um, uh, picked up some supplements to try to help a couple of older does along who are looking a little on the rough side and, uh, you know, just really excited for babies. I keep seeing pictures that everybody's putting up and I'm like, I can't wait till they get here. And then part of me is like, I have 11 goats due that first week. I can wait. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fun. I got Uh, great news though. Uh, My oldest daughter, Elizabeth said that she is taking off the entire first week of March. And so that's when we have all those does due. So it will be so nice to have somebody here at home, you know, to feed babies and watch kidding does so that I'm not quite so nervous about it. So, yeah, no, definitely. That's exciting there. And I, I know, um, I'm very excited that I'm officially working from home and living back on the farm now. Um, and that's the good part too. And I've even got a plan to uh, use my phone as a hotspot, take my laptop out there if, if I have any meetings or anything. Oh, perfect. So, so you can take like on the spot pictures. I don't know if I could take on the spot pictures, but yeah, I, I mean, I could. Um, I, I'd rather not. I, I have this thing when it comes to like people posting really like graphic farm pictures um, just because a lot of the like PR classes that I've taken in college and whatnot, you know, the, they don't necessarily garner the greatest image for the industry. Um, so I, I, I really don't like taking those sopping wet pictures of, of goat of goats and posting them. I prefer the cute, happy, dried off bouncing babies. Oh, agreed with that. Yes. There's nothing cuter than, than we call them popcorn babies, you know, when they're kicking around and so happy to be a part of life. It's fun. To yes. See that, so yes. So that's so good. Yeah. PR. Yeah. That's, that's really good PR. And, and so I, I see some people do it and I'm like, this is just, it's not a good look um, for the industry as a whole. Um, Cause you want to paint the industry as a, a happy thing. And, and, I, and I think for the most part, the industry is, um, you know, we do have our darker moments, but uh, that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit too. Some of those darker moments and we're taking the gloves off. Let's jump in. I know we're yeah. both eager to get on this, Aaron. So, um, you know, starting on our list, so much happened with Adga today or mm-hmm. today with this with Adga this week. So it, it could be happening this week. Happen. It could be happening today. Who knows? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the big the elephant in the room. Well, it's not really an elephant because everybody knows about it here and they can see it. Um, is the delay of the American Dairy Goat Association's. Um, Ross next gen project and they're, and they're 
they were supposed to release it this week, um, and it came back um, that they couldn't. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the first my mantra is always to assume good intent, and I know that so many people have been working on this project for so long and we keep hearing about how wonderful it's going to be and all the changes and all the things it's going to do and it's i mean i think a good way to start is just to say everybody's frustrated that it's not ready yet yeah i i would agree i'm i'm not really frustrated to be honest with you um i think directors are frustrated because they promised their stakeholders this and said it was going to get done. Um, I think the, the board of directors is obviously frustrated or the EC is frustrated as well. I guess staff are frustrated there as an end user. Um, honestly, I'm really not super affected by it yet. Well, and, and, you know, I'm not really either. I mean, I have all my goats registered from last year, obviously don't have kids on the ground yet. It doesn't affect a whole lot of things for me. I'll tell you who I really feel the sorriest for are the golden Guernsey or the, pardon me, the Guernsey breeders, because I'm sure that they were thinking it was almost Christmas for them because they have waited so patiently for years and years and years, um, you know, being told as soon as we get this NG running, you know, it'll, we'll be ready for this. And now it's, you know, now it's not. And I'm sure that they're thinking, but what about show season and what about nationals and what about registering? And, you know, we thought we were finally going to get to do this and is it even going to happen? So I guess I feel the worst for them, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know, or I think I know that there was a select group of users who've been doing some beta testing with this new software, but I really never heard anything about whether or not it worked well. What do you know about this, Cameron? I don't know a lot, okay, but I know so last year at the board of directors meeting, we they the board approved um using money from kind of the next phase to continue to pay the contractors to speed up the development. I think I read kind of in between the lines and went back and did some research on that. And I think that's kind of what happened. And a lot of people were upset that that money devoted to kind of the second phase of this next generation goat registration platform was was put towards this. But to be honest with you, this is how it works in the world. Um, I, I, uh, I work in um, crop insurance and I work in kind of a hybrid IT technology implementation role with farmers and systems and whatnot there. So this happens all the time in the business world. Um, it's really no surprise to me. And I've been doing this for about five years now that that this that this project got delayed because large projects get delayed because stuff isn't working correctly. And if we and if if this program isn't working correctly and was released to end users, think about all the headaches those end users would have. Kind of like when Windows um, updates their operating system and there are a gajillion bugs. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's that's ex- that's exactly it there. So to my understanding, and this is how I think it kind of all went down, the the programmers who are contractors, to my knowledge, they're not Adga staff contractors. We contract uh, stuff out, um, programmed this. Um, I, I don't know what specific testing they did, but obviously Adga staff um, was doing UAT, which is user acceptance testing, um, and that's used in the business world all the time. As a member of of the business unit that implements the technology, I do that. Um, they, they were testing it, making sure things work correctly. And because things weren't working correctly, because glitches were found, because uh, systems and programs weren't working, um, as, as they should, 
Um, that's why it got delayed. And honestly, I think that's the smartest thing in the world. Oh, it would have been tragic if it weren't. I mean, it's the integrity of our herd books. You know, people think that that there are issues with DNA testing and so forth. I know that's down the road on what we're going to talk about eventually. But um, can you imagine if the glitch wasn't just necessarily um, a wrong sire, but actually uh, wrong things kept in the actual program that wouldn't allow you to register animals correctly? I mean, that could be... really scary yes this could be a huge i mean databases implementing databases implementing code like this implementing an application is hard and the scope of this project is huge we've got to remember that that scope of a project in the it world drives cost of the project as well so i had no problem when the when uh adga shifted those resources towards getting this project done and so this was a very large scoped project so I'm going to show maybe some ignorance on this, Cameron, and, and I hope maybe you can clarify this a little. When I take my car, when my car has a problem or I want something fixed in my car and I take it to the mechanic and they give me an estimate of how long it'll take to fix it and how much money it's going to take to fix it, I usually pretty much bank that it's going to be around that. It sounds like maybe in this case, both the time to um, make these changes, to make these improvements has met, run um, significantly longer than what the estimate was. And then it also sounds like the cost for that, since they've had to jump into funds that were set aside for um, the next gener- the next part of improvements. Um, is that typical in, in the software world and, um, I'm guessing it's not indicative that these guys can't do the job or that, that uh, they don't know what they're doing, but rather maybe just a symptom of, of what actually always goes on in these type of type of jobs. I would say for the most part, yes, sometimes projects depending on scope and obviously scope changes sometimes as, as the project um, continues to evolve. So they may have started this two years ago, but maybe six months in the, the association would say, Hey, we need this changed in it. Um, and I don't know those facts. I'm not on the IM committee. I'm just a, a bystander here um, looking at it here. But but coming back to the car analogy, so um, you get an estimate, and that's what IT contractors do. And then obviously the board of directors pulls that money away. And because it, okay. it sets that and says, okay, this is the amount of money. But the cost of it, as it may happen with your car, may cost more money or may cost less money depending on depending on how fast the project takes, how much code doesn't work or how much do, does work, how much testing they do because there's also testing that has to be involved. It's not just you're just going to go code in this and then you're going to uh, it magically works. You have to test it and retest it. Um, and if sometimes if code doesn't work, um, you're going back and working on one line of code for hours. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. Glad it's, it's them it's, and not me. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm thankful it's them and not me too, but I've, I've been in that situation where um, a system doesn't work because, or it's not performing the tasks that you think it's going to, to uh, perform. So yeah, I mean, you, you never know when you work on these projects like that. And I, I've, I've been on teams where we've implemented large scale changes across systems. Um, and you know, it ends up costing, you know, even maybe millions of dollars. So when this is all said and done, when, when they do get it done and I have all the confidence in the world that it will be completed and 
um, you know, one of the neat things about the Dairy Goat Association is uh, we have a common desire for seeing the associate association to, to um, be successful. And I'm very sure that the people who are making decisions on this, maybe not the software writers themselves, but the people who are kind of pushing them along and pulling the screens, they know that we're jumping into kidding season. They know that the biggest bulk of Adga's um, busyness as far as registrations go is just around the corner. And I'm sure that the thought was never, oh, let's ruin everybody's kidding season by uh, not getting this software out out in time and let's shut everything down right at the last minute. I feel very confident in saying that they're going to have some type of a contingency plan to get people by until this is all running. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, you know, we have to, in, in the, in the business world, you have to separate kind of it, which are the people that are doing the coding and doing the testing for the code, making sure it all works. And then the business, which acts as the ADGA staff, obviously, uh, I'm sure McKenzie, the people that work the phones, customer support there as well, um, act as kind of the business and are doing these testing here. Uh, for the most part, I'm, I'm fairly happy that we're not implementing this system, um, yet. I'm I'm really really happy because, as we all know, um, Adga Adga's current registration platform has some major bugs in it. And do we want to continue to roll out products that have major bugs in it as well? That that prohibit no. you as a user being able to, you know, register goats. But for right now, we're still able to use the system that we currently have. So it's not like people are saying you can't register anything. Yeah, you're you're exactly right there. Um, you know, this is me going gloves off. Um, you know, in, in life and in, in your heart in your farm too, your farm kind of works just like a business. And this is kind of how the IT world works, is you have so many resources. And whether those resources are time, money, you know, uh, developers or whatnot, or in, in in your case, when you run a farm, it's hay, it's grain, it's time, it's it's water too. So you have only so many resources to develop towards doing all of this. And you have to do it in a certain amount of timeline for the contract unless you come back and you need more money. Um, if, and if you need more resources on a farm, you you look and go get more resources if need be, or you look to scale back. So that's it's the same situation in the business world. Well, I, you know, I think we could all agree it's unfortunate that it didn't roll out. And, you know, we're not looking forward to opening up a new um, type of software next week but on the other hand you know it sounds like patience is what we need to do to to move forward and and hopefully soon have it as soon as we can and again i have no i have no horse in this race for i'm just a i'm just an end user for them of and what they do and and their product that they're providing to the members so um you know i i'm just sharing with you guys as listeners uh, some of my experiences kind of in the business world and letting you know this is not uncommon that that things don't get done on time and projects get pulled back. I know businesses that were working on softwares for, you know, maybe 18 months and then they made a business decision and totally scrapped it. You know, that cost millions of dollars. Um, it's all about what's best for a in a business scenario there. And in this situation, this is what's best for the association um, and for the user experience going forward. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind, Cameron. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's my first of many rants today, probably. <laughs> so kind of, so kind of along that though, we mentioned the Guernseys 
um, mm -hmm. there's a postal ballot out there to hopefully mitigate some of the issues that are, that potentially could happen with Guernsey's being able to show or not being able to show. Mm -hmm. I have not seen that postal ballot. Um, do you, can you provide some more context for me there? Well, and, and honestly, I'm not sure that the ballot has been put together. I know that there was talk okay. about it. So I guess I should, I, maybe I'm putting that cart before the horse, but they were talking about getting some directors together to put together a postal ballot that will allow um, Guernsey's to show on um, stamped duplicates so that mm -hmm. they can go ahead and be pulled into our shows. Cause many shows are already talking about adding Guernsey's to um, their, their show. They want them to be shown there. And uh, if, if we don't have a registration system that can register the Guernsey's, that's a big uh red flag and a hold up to that so they're talking about trying to figure out a way to let guernsey show on stamp duplicates until they can get mm -hmm. their actual papers so um you know part of me sits here and thinks yeah sure what whatever it takes another part i'm thinking how do you how do you do that because you know a duplicate isn't the actual papers and what if it's wrong and you know really in the end of things so let's say that an animal is showing on a stamp duplicate and duplicate, pardon me, and wins. And then those papers end up not being able, then that win is just going to be a lost win. I mean, I, I don't know that there's a lot of scariness with um, approving that ballot, but that's certainly something that if it gets uh, put out before our directors, it'll be interesting to see how they vote on that. I would think, and this is my personal opinion only, it would pass. I'm thinking from like a, regist a registration standpoint and showing on stamp duplicates. Obviously, there would need to be some language about stamp duplicates being accepted for Golds and Guernseys um, for X amount of time. It's it's not the standard stamp duplicate is only about six months. Is it's valid for? Um, and then you don't when you do fill out that paperwork on the report of awards. That may have a problem on the report of awards, though. But let's just say hypothetically, we do fill out the report of awards. Um, instead of put a, re a registration number, you put pending. Um, and that's how – and then all legs get accredited per that GOAT when that GOAT gets registered. So um, if it was leg eligible. Uh, my thing is think about the paperwork, though, that they would have to change on the form. Because if you have – if you show all nine breeds at your form, your form is all the way filled out. Your report of awards is – so you need to start making – or Edgar might need to start considering um, doing report of awards that are 10 lines instead of instead of 9 lines. Oh, gosh. I didn't even think about that, Cameron. Sure. Yes. I just came, I just came to me. I was just like, whoa, this could be – and I, I maybe because I have a report of awards right here on my very messy desk with my coffee, my water, and my vodka. So, <laughs> Well, that's – you know – I, again, I have no doubt that Adga will come up with a way to do that if that's what's decided to do. You know, it might just be as simple as tacking a second page onto that report of awards. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I, I know that's, it. yeah, I know that's how they do it when we do it for AGS, single sanction AGS Nigerian Dwarf shows, as well as they sometimes do it for the Nigerian Dwarf Goat Association as well, if they're triple registered. So I, I have no problem with that. It'll be neat to see them come into the ring. That's for it, sure. It will be neat. Uh, also this week in Adgood News, lots of Adgood News, which is good. Um, they've reopened the look for a performance programs manager. 
yeah, I saw that, you know, and, and I think it's one of those times that maybe some of the talk on social media hasn't always been totally positive about uh, the performance programs manager position because of uh, the way it was first listed. It was pretty clearly a position that if you weren't willing to relocate, it didn't seem like that you could be a candidate for that position. Um, so I think it's, it's just really in the best interest of ADGA that they've opened that up and, and more to come. I think uh, they mentioned an expanded description of what the position actually entails and also the fact that it can be done remotely. So I think that Lisa has done a, a really good job of, of handling things remotely. So I have no doubt that whoever the successful candidate is for that position, they'll be able to do that as well. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Again, all the props to Lisa Shepard. Um, she is a savior uh, to many, in my opinion, and my experience there as well. Um, but the performance program manager, that's not an easy position. Um, that's that's not like, uh, it's a lot of deep critical thinking. It is, and not just... You know, it's not just a position that people who are interested in goats, oh gosh, I think that sounds like fun. There's there's a lot of management that goes with that. You know, you need to you need to know about managing employees, you need to know about managing people. Um, there's a lot of detail oriented things that that go along with that position. It's just Lisa's shoes are gonna be big shoes to fill for sure. Um, absolutely. You know just even just looking at the whole revamping and um, how the linear appraisal program is going to be changed. Um, even with Lisa's guidance on what she's done in the past, there's going to be a lot of new frontiers that are, that are going to be um, have to be forged with, with this new linear appraisal program and how that's going to work. So I, you know, I, I, I'm just praying that we get the right person in that position yep. because it's certainly I a, a big position. Yeah, and I and I you know I listen to some podcasts on hiring and whatnot and business and whatnot there, and I think the the biggest thing is you you want to find the right person, not just a person, um, because it really does take a special set of, of skills. Um, it's like we're you know it's a special set of skills um, to uh, be the performance programs manager there. So uh, hiring slow, firing fast um, might be a good approach yes. here for for this. Um, program and hopefully they don't get fired but but that's kind of a, a hr um recruiting uh thing there right and you know it's not i think you just have to get out of that mindset that a, a warm body is better than nobody well no not always no. sometimes no. sometimes it's better to to just really hold out for that perfect person and and sometimes that perfect person it's going to take um, maybe a little bit more in the budget than what you'd thought about to start with you know Sometimes the perfect people are expensive. So, yep. you know, that might be something else that has to be considered as well. Compensation and, and, you know, really thinking outside the box on how to make it a doable position, but get the right person in there. So, yep. And honestly, and I, I've never been to Spindale. I've, I've been to that Western North Carolina area before, um, but I've never been to Spindale, but it's probably not a super attractive place to move. Would you agree? I've never been there. I, I okay. always wanted to, uh, but have never been there either. So um, mm -hmm. of all the states, the Carolinas are two that I've never been to. Oh, they're beautiful. You would love them. You would love them. Um, and uh, right along the lines of the performance manager, uh, performance programs manager search, also the, the linear appraisal postal ballot came out. Yeah, boy, that was a lot to read through. 
Yes, I, I did. I did manage to read through it. Um, for the most part, I took some notes like I always do. I always get made fun of um, at my job for all the amount of notes I take. I take notes on like every meeting and such. And they're like, you need to start sending mm-hmm. these out. I'm thinking, eh, that's how I pay attention. But um, I took some notes on it. I'm like, okay, this doesn't seem terrible. No, I, what are your, you know, what are your I thoughts. Well, okay. <laughs> so I, I, as I read over it, I thought, okay, um, there's a bit of a uh, increase in costs, like the the um, minimum stop fee definitely has a um, significant increase with it. Mm-hmm. But as I sat and read over the proposal, I'm sitting here thinking linear appraisal has been too cheap for a long time. I, it really, I mean, it really has. I've It has blown my mind how much information and how much time you get out of your appraiser for not very much money. I, I really couldn't understand how it ever was um, feasible to do it that way. So uh, my first thought is that these increases in prices are um, much needed and not out of line. Uh, the other thing that really stuck out to me um, there's a little bit of teeth now asking for accountability. I feel from um, the herds that, that are having animals appraised, you know, as a healthcare professional, when somebody makes an appointment to come see the doctor and then they don't show up for that appointment, that costs, that costs, it, there's a cost in not being able to see other people. And there's a cost to that doctor with non-productive time. And, um, same thing with our appraisers. When people will say that I'm going to have 35 goats at my farm and the appraiser shows up and they have 17, there should be a penalty for that herd owner, um, really for wasting the appraiser's time. So I'm, I was glad to see that. What do you think, Cameron? I agree on that. I think um, I love the new pay scale. I think it's uh, a lot more equitable equitable pay scale um, when it comes to the appraisers and whatnot. I was looking at the per diem cost. I was just actually doing my, some of my tax stuff from, from 2020 and that's uh, the per diem $50 per day. That's pretty standard. I think the government rate is normally like 55. So that's, that's pretty solid there. Um, the new pay scale is great. Um, I do like the graduated approach to it as well. So um, if you have more than 25 animals or if you have, 25 to 50 animals, it costs $9.50 per that. And then um, if you have 50 plus animals, it's $6.50 per animal. So, Do you think that that will help larger herds or even dairies feel more comfortable taking taking advantage of the linear appraisal program? That is something I've actually mulled around in my brain. I don't know because if you looked at one of the examples that the directors posted in the postal ballot – for a herd, I think of $140, it was going to be about $1,200 to get their herd appraised like that. Wow. And so, and, I, and to a commercial dairy that's shipping milk and maybe, you know, I, I, I like to, I like to improve my goats and I like to uh, be involved in that or, or whatnot. I don't know if it's going to be worth the time to spend, you know, if I'm, if I got 140 goats, obviously there are a lot other things I could be doing with that time that day. 140 divided by eight. I mean, that's 17 and a half hours there to appraise hypothetically. If you, if you get them out, I mean, if you're doing eight an hour per the minimum. That's yeah. Wow. 
Yes. So that's so a think lot. about that. That may, yeah. that may be something to think about still down the road. Yeah. So that's, that is something to think about there. And, and, you know, maybe that's a situation where you need two appraisers or whatnot. Or I think about, um, obviously I'll call him out by name because he's a friend of mine, Craig Copeman, who uh, has a commercial dairy. He's appraised for, um, many years too. Um, he doesn't register all of his goats, but, uh, the ones that are registered, he does get appraised. Um, so, so that type of thing, you know, it takes him a long time. I mean, it takes a solid day to get through all of his goats. And that's starting at probably seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Then he still has to do chores or he has to milk them as he goes. If he chooses to utter them as appraised. So that, I mean, that takes a whole day, day and a half to get through his entire herd. If you're an appraiser. So that's, I mean, I'm not criticizing this at all because I think this is great, but I think there's some things to consider when it comes to making this viable for commercial dairies because they don't have the time to do that. I mean, that's a whole day. That's at least a day, maybe a day and a half's worth of of work to dedicate towards this. It is. And the thing also, though, that I want to throw out there about those commercial dairies, if we are looking at the linear appraisal program truly as a way to gather data on sires and their transmittability of certain traits, what better group is there to do that than in a, in a commercial dairy where they have, you know, large groups of daughters out of those bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I will say that I felt very uh, grateful to those who are on that task force. I can't imagine the amount of time and hours that they spent putting into that program. Um, it's really impressive. I think what they were able to come up with. I would agree with that. One other thing to mention here, um, and I didn't see this and maybe one of my directors can reach out to me if, if I have a question or anything. Um, it said there's, there's no guarantee if a stop is determined, which is totally fine. Um, it, that obviously if paid, uh, if you pay the, like the $395, um, for the minimum stop, that's the $45 fee plus the minimum 350 stop fee. Um, what's the refund policy on that? I did not see that at all in the paperwork or in the proposal. I didn't see that either. I I would be hopeful that there would be one. And, you know, while I'm really excited that we have this proposal here, I'm also looking at the fact that we're almost through the month of January. And so there are so many other parts of this that have to be put together before we're going to see a full scale linear appraisal program that's viable for 2021. Uh-huh. I, I have two more things to consider here uh, as well. I don't know how many things you have left on this, but I know that on, on this that's yeah. Okay. So yep. one thing, one to consider there, there's no, there's no mention of young stock. So what are we doing on that? Have we totally scrapped young stock? I mean, is obviously we're not using the data as much and we're not correlating a lot of, you know, big numbers or anything, but are we scrapping young stock as an association? I'm taking my gloves off here, Cameron. (laughs) All right, let's go. Let's go. I hope to hell we're scrapping the young stock. (laughs) Okay. I mean, you know, again, if (laughs) this is my um, no gloves opinion here, but if we're using linear appraisal for transmittability data and data on um, sires and and breeding programs and so forth, we're not using that young stock data at all. What we're using that young stock data for, I mean, really, 
if if you read back through social media posts, a lot of people would say, I used my young stock just to have a minimum stop number. Well, okay, that gets you to not have to travel someplace to have your yep. animals appraised. But in the long run, that is to the detriment of the program. So yeah, I'm just putting it out there. I don't like young stock appraisal and it wouldn't bother me to see it not be viable. I, well, that, that yeah. was my follow-up question. Then what becomes of, you know, if, if I don't have obviously a minimum stop fee, obviously that increases the value per goat of appraisal. Let's just say, and I, I love crunching numbers. Um, Catherine hates when I talk about crunching numbers, but I crunch numbers all the time. Um, and sometimes I do it in my head. Uh, but if you have milk 12 goats and Laura, that's, how much you milk probably ish in a year uh, yeah, a little around that sure around mm-hmm. 12 so 395 divided by 12 you're paying 30 almost 33 dollars per goat to get appraised is that 33 dollars worth it to you and i no gloves off yep. gloves are off so yep it's worth it to me gotcha it, no it, i'm it just is. i mean mm-hmm. when i think about all the things that i have spent money on my goats for over the years and again i always have a small herd and I have never had a stop of my own. I've always had to travel. Sometimes I've traveled two hours to get to another herd for it. And I'm, you know, I'm, I know all the arguments about biosecurity and all of that, you know, I show. So I know about biosecurity and I do it the best that I can, but I cannot say more strongly, even if I had to pay, even if I had to pay $50 a head for goats. Yes, I would. I would linear appraise. I think it's that. I think it's that worth it. Gotcha. Yeah. No. I. I think you know, as a small herd, um, you know, there are some questions to ask. You know, is thirty three dollars worth it, era, or is it? Hey, do I look at maybe doing linear appraisal every other year now because of the cost? Well, and I have done that. You know, mm-hmm. or I've looked at the animals that I've got, and if the only if I only have three or four yearlings that I'd like to have appraised and the rest of them have all appraised, it may not be worth it for me to do it that year. Or if it's at a bad time and, and, you know, I'll have to sit back and look and think, yeah, that's during graduation weekend. I really probably should back out this year. I give myself permission to do that, but I just, Mm -hmm. again, I just feel like linear appraisal is so helpful. So Yep. I'm going to go back to the time thing. And, you know, we really can't control that, obviously. Obviously, we'd all love to be appraised in, you know, um, June or July or something like that, or the week before the national show because you're ramping up milk production. We'd all love that. Um, But given the, you know, the variance of the time of year, and I've never really thought about this until we started talking about it. Do you really think um, it's, and if people are, are dropping out, of the program because there are appraisers coming in like April. Do you really think that's helping the program because you're not collecting enough data because people are choosing not to do it because it's not at an advantageous time of the year? Oh, Karen. This is a, I mean, I, I did not expect to get down this rabbit hole, but then again, my no. I don't know how my brain works too sometimes and I just can't control myself. And this may be decaf coffee, but there might've been sugar in it. Well, um, so I, I'm just, I have, I have like big thoughts on this. So my worry is we're not going to get to our other topics, but that's Yo, okay. Yeah. We will yeah. go however we need to go. Um, when you look at how dairy cattle do their linear appraisal, 
you know, they're, they don't utter up their cows, mm-hmm. or at least this is what I've been told by most of the dairy producers that I talk to. Um, the appraiser just comes and scores them and they do a lot of them and they do them very quickly. They don't take the time to explain like what our appraisers do. It's, it's a very efficient in and out type of a program. Because the majority of our dairy goat producers are hobby producers. We're not, we're not in it for milk production. We're not in it. Well, let me back up. We want good milk production, but that's not what our bread and butter is made from. You know, we're not, we don't run commercial dairies. Um, So we have a limited part of the year that we want our goats to look good. And what we really, even though we know that the purpose of linear appraisal is to collect data, I would argue that the majority of people who are doing appraisal are doing it for those scores as an advertising tool. Gotcha. What do you think? Do you think that's do you think that's a valid statement? Yeah, I would say so. From my personal experience, um, it's always good to collect data. I will be the first one to agree that you know data is great and data is is only as good as as how it is used. Um, but it is a huge marketing tool. Um, you know, to say my goat's ninety two ease across the board, um, that sounds a heck of a lot better than saying mine's. 85 with a v plus plus or to say this is just my goat mallory you know that's a random goat's name if you have a goat named mallory i'm sorry i'm not picking on her (laughs) well so and i will say as a as a breeder the first thing that i look at when i'm buying buying um, new lines to bring into my herd whether um whether I've seen these animals or I haven't seen them is that appraisal score. I, you know, I'm just, again, gloves off. So I would say that I probably am guilty of the desire for high scores for advertising as anybody. Um, I love it that it's contributing to a database that hopefully some year down the road, we can say with a lot of certainty that, Oh, you need a higher rear editor. Well go to this buck and that's what you're going to get. We're not there yet. And I, I, you know, I don't know if Adga will ever be there. So I would say somewhere down the line, the question is going to have to be asked of the linear appraisal program. What is the main reason that we have this program? Not, not asking that question, meaning um, we're like the dairy cattle and we're doing it for data. Is that really what the membership wants? Is that really why people want to do appraisal? And if it's not, then are there changes that could be made to the program that would um, facilitate more animals being scored or more animals that people want scores on to be scored and and give people the information that they're really looking for? Yeah. If that's making any sense. Totally. Makes sense to me. I think... Uh... For the sake of time, this has been a great discussion. Uh, maybe we'll table it. Maybe we'll come back to it sometime. Uh, because yeah, this is... maybe we'll get maybe we'll get some appraisers or former appraisers to come talk about the program. I think that might yes. be a good. They're all former appraisers right one. now because none of them have been rehired. Fun fact for everybody. <laughs> That's right. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. All right, moving right along here. Uh, if you don't think we've had enough gloves off, here's more gloves off. Um, our taboo topics are things that dairy goat breeders don't talk about. Uh, 
Um, yeah, Laura, what are your thoughts? What, what any anything okay. else? All right. Uh, disclaimer here. Disclaimer in the beginning. Very important here. Um, what we're going to say is our personal opinions. Um, how we do things or how we run our farms might be different um, and, and whatnot. But this is, a, you know, just kind of how we're saying it and the gloves are coming off. And we're not telling you to do it, do something a certain way or not do something a certain way. Um, what we hope that you get out of this is some food for thought, things to think about, maybe uh, stretch your mind a little bit or uh, give you some things to discuss with your fellow breeder friends or things to, to discuss around the dinner table. But, um, you know, I don't I certainly am not an expert and don't want to play one on television either. <laughs> just this is just our these are just our thoughts on these on these hot topics. So yes. um, let's jump in with the first one we have on our list, Cameron. And and this week we're really kind of looking around um, some management and genetics thoughts. So I'd like to talk about CAE a little bit. Yes, the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. All right, CAE testing. And Laura, you've gone on record, on record, sound like we're in a courtroom, on record uh, <laughs> about CAA testing, and you do this yearly, correct? I do, yes, every year. Before we kid, I test the entire herd. Yes. And, and a lot of people do that. I, you know, it's, it's January, it's not super exciting, but... It's the time of year where, you know, you're, you're doing these things to make and check and see, you know, making sure all your goats are CAE negative if you choose to do that because there's nothing else to do and it's right before kidding. Right. So do you want me to tell you my justification in doing sure. it? Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. Okay. So as I said before, I had goats back in the 80s and 90s when CAE was just lots and lots and lots of CAE. Or maybe I should state it this way. CAE was talked about a lot in the 80s and 90s. Okay. So um, the argument could be made that we have just as many animals today with CAE as what we did then. It's just not talked about. So um, what? leaving that aside for a moment, uh, when I got back into goats, my daughters were, let's see, 13, 11, no, 13... 10 and not and seven. I mean, they were little, little girls, mm -hmm. you know, yep. and the goats were our project. And I really did not want to mess with pasteurizing. I, I yep. just didn't. I've done it before. I know how to do it. I could do it again if I needed to. But I also know how hard it is when one oops could ruin your entire um, kid crop because somebody thought it was pasteurized and it wasn't or um, the pasteurizer turned off in the middle of pasteurizing and you don't know. So you just feed it anyway, cause you've got hungry kids and you're going to be late for the bus and mom's not home. And I never wanted to put them in that position. So um, I just made it a, a thing to me to not buy any animals that were not CAE negative tested before I brought them on the farm yep. and to test every year because we feed raw pooled milk. That's just the gotcha. way that we do it here. So I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. I'm not saying it's the wrong way to do it, but that is the way that we could do it. And I could feel good about having dairy goats. So that's why we do that. So you, you say your thoughts on this, Cameron. Okay. So um, 
to me and in the industry, you know, I, I wasn't around in the eighties and nineties. I was, I was not even thought of in the eighties, to be honest. Um, so I, growing up and everything past 2006 is very vivid and, and memorable in my mind. Um, CAE had become less of a, less of a, not less of a concern, but less of a, you showed less symptoms. Would you agree with that after, you know, as you got back into goats, you saw less goats with symptoms of CAE? Oh yes, most definitely. Most so definitely. Growing up in that era, um, to me, because you never saw the symptoms of CAE, um, to me, I, it was never a big deal growing up. Um, and, I, and I still carry a lot of those thoughts today here. Um, you know, CAE positive animals can be managed and CAE symptoms can be managed well. And you can have high productive does that are, are CAE positive that are that are maybe even national champions because they're managed very well. Oh, I agree with that 100 percent. Yes, if, if you. If you go to larger commercial dairies, um, some may be CAE negative. They may they may practice that and and preach those practices throughout. However, I would say a, a large portion of them either have CAE positive animals in in different pens, obviously, or they just run their herd together and are, are positive and, and don't test for it. And you know, I think I think that is totally a very acceptable way to do things. I think that's a fine way to do things. And really, you know, um, CAE is a virus. So animals that test positive, are they, <clears throat> excuse me, are they really positive or have they just been exposed to it? And I'm not, I'm not a virologist, so I don't know all that stuff. But yes. what I can say is CAE has never left dairy goats I would say that it is probably as rampant today as what it was back then. Um, but it's not as acceptable to see those animals that are showing symptoms. So they're cold. I mean, people don't keep them or they keep them at home and don't show them. Um, my biggest problem with the whole CAE versus not CAE thing. There's, there's two things that I, again, gloves off here. I know that we have lost a lot of genetic progress in the dairy goat world because people have just blindly culled, killed, trashed CAE positive animals without any thoughts to preserving those genetics. Would you agree with that statement? A hundred percent. That it, that's true, and and it goes back to a lot of conversations with. Uh, myself and, and I'll throw my fiance out there because we've had conversations about this. And this is where this idea kind of came from was um, what happens? You test your does. Obviously no one's going to put on Facebook that three of my does came back positive because that's not a happy post. And then people are going to get the wrong idea. Um, and, but the question remains, what happens if you do have three does that come back positive? Do you keep them? Do you, do you leave or do you let that genetic progress that you've made walk? And, and you lose it forever in your herd, potentially. Or do you keep them? Well, I I know that for me, because, you know, every year when I send those tests in, because we do show, and I know that things happen at shows, and I know that things can happen all the time, there's always that thought when I open that email from um, the lab that I have that does the testing, oh my gosh, what if so-and-so is positive? Oh, what am I going to do? 
And then I just have to take a deep breath and say, you know, for me, I don't have the facilities to manage CAE here. So I would like to think that I would offer those animals with full disclosure. This is a positive doe to somebody who might be interested in using those um, genetics or I would, you know, make a decision to keep kids out of them, but not milk them at all and then move them, move them down the road or something. But that leads me to my second thought. If you choose to have animals that are CAE positive for the love of all that's holy, be honest about what you're doing. I'm not saying you have to advertise, oh, we have a CAE positive herd. No, you don't want to say that. But if you sell animals and there's a chance, you know, you might just say, hey, you know, we do manage this on my farm. So we practice, we practice um, kid raising, um, uh, manner, we, we raise our kids in a way that hopefully we, there's no way that they could get CAE. And this is what we've done, but be transparent and be honest with your sellers because there's nothing worse than somebody putting a lot of money in, you know, maybe very hard earned money on buying animals and find out that they turn out positive down the road. And then they find out that that herd maybe wasn't being honest with them. So I, that's just kind of my little rant there. No, the CAE, just being honest and saying, hey, we do CAE prevention protocols and whatnot. And then if they have questions, they can ask about those protocols. So if you ever call me and, and you want to go for me and you ask what what's your CAE prevention, I will say we we practice a CAE, CAE prevention plan. We pasteurize all of our milk and we don't even pasteurize it to like 100, what is it, 168? Is that the, is that the uh-huh. technical? We pasteurize it to 180. Like, like we're crazy about that. Um, and then after that, after we pasteurize, we also, and I talked about it last week is I, we use powdered colostrum instead of using, um, a regular colostrum uh, partially because we don't want to mess with the pasteurization process, but it breaks the disease triangle up as well. Um, also we, we keep our kids and our milkers in, in different facilities. So thinking about those things that you can do to practice a CAE prevention protocol, um, that's something to consider there. I think so totally. And, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things that I think we shouldn't be afraid to talk about in the dairy goat industry. No, it is still here. People, people are still dealing with it. So, you know, let's be transparent and talk about how we're fixing this and how we're doing things and don't make it, don't make it a big, ugly surprise for somebody. If down the road, they find out, Oh my gosh, did you know so-and-so has CAE? Well, no, you know, maybe, maybe it's not a big deal. Let's just deal with it and move on. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, and you know, if, if you sell a lot of goats, I always suggest adding a line to your website, um, saying, you know, about CAE, making sure that you have the prevention protocols or what your CAE status is. And then always a disclaimer saying, if your goat, if a goat's been exposed for a prolonged period of time, whatever time you develop and comes up with CAE, you're not going to replace it because you do not know where that CAE came from. Right. No, you can't. And, you know, I think, I think that, um, the spotlight sale and the Colorama sale, those both require a negative CAE test, but we also know those are kids and, you know, it's good to know that they were negative before they hit the sale. But, uh, I don't think that there's any, any way that somebody would expect those kids to be replaced if they came up positive down the road. 
because there are cases where you know you run you go show goats and that's what me and Laura do is we show goats because we love to show goats but you tend you can pick up CAE from you know and being a neighbor uh be installed next to somebody and and their goats and whatnot so at, at shows you can definitely do your due diligence too and I I try to always do my due diligence I don't use other people's waterers uh, or excuse me their um their hoses you don't know where that hose has been. I try to always set up a buffer pen as well for my goats on that. Some people bring tarps um, and try to stray them there. So there are things you can do to prevent that at a show, um, but it just comes down to really what's your prerogative as well. For sure. I totally agree with that. And then the so CAE. I'm... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, please go on. I, I have one more thing on CAE the tests. And we talked about this last week. The testing is not always as as good as it can be. Right. No, it's not always definitive. And, um, you know, sometimes an animal will test positive when they're not positive, but yes. maybe they have something else going on. So there's there's a lot to consider on that, too. I'll, I'll tell I'll tell our listeners a story here. I sold a goat to a, a lovely lady in, in Wyoming, and, and she might be a listener of mine, but um, you know, she came up positive, but she was on her first test. She was so stressed out though, the move, the, the, um, the, the transfer, and she was kind of a flighty goat already. Um, but the move and the stress of a new farm and whatnot caused her to go positive. They retested her three weeks later. She was negative. So that test is very fickle. Well, and so on a flip side of that, uh, we had a son and a couple of years ago, a three-year-old who had always tested negative. And um, on a Sunday, we pulled blood from our entire herd. Mm -hmm. She was included. We sent the blood off on Monday. On Wednesday, this doe died. Whoa. And um, I drove her to the University of Missouri for a necropsy. And along with all of the work that they did, they did a CAE test and she came up positive. Oh, wow. And uh, the next day, the test that I sent off to uh, the bioprint lab came back negative. So, you know, of the blood that they pulled was after she had passed, yeah. um, but it came up positive. So I, I just thought that was really, that, that showed me a lot about, you know, that's kind of a fickle test in a way. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So it, you know, this is just our experiences and, and we're just kind of airing it out there. I think along these right. lines of CAE though, Laura, do you have anything else to add on CAE? No, mm -mm. no, okay. that's about it. Okay. Um, and along those lines of CAE, and I talked about my protocols, feeding raw milk, dam raising, pasteurizing. This is quite the debate. You know, it's funny. Um, it seems to me like there used to be a lot of stigma attached mm -hmm. to people that dam raised their, dam raised their dairy goats. Um, and uh, with uh, the huge popularity of the Nigerian dwarfs, which we didn't even touch on the, the end of year report that came in on ADGA over 29,000 Nigerian dwarfs were registered last year. That it's is like unbelievable. I just can't hardly believe that. that it's is just it's a cash cow for the association. It is a cash oh my gosh, cow. Yes. Sorry. And <laughs> it really has done a lot for improving, um, the the um the way that people look at goats i mean yeah. those dang nigerians are just adorable oh they're so, and so cute. everybody wants goat yoga with a nigerian i mean it's 
you know, and unfortunately, every time I say I raise dairy goats, they're like, oh, you have those cute little tiny ones. And I'm like, well, mine are cute. And they start out tiny, but they don't say that way, you know. <laughs> but anyway, going back to the topic, um, you know, I would I would say a lot of our Nigerian dwarf breeders in the association dam raise. So I don't think there's as much of a stigma with that as what there used to be. But, um, you know. That's yeah. There are people who are just rabid that one way is the right way to do it. And, and others who will say, Oh no, you've got to do it this way. So what do you think about that, Cameron? Um, I think dam raising is, is perfectly acceptable if it sets into your production goals and, and your system. You know, if you're a backyard farmer that says, Hey, I, I don't really have a lot of time to pasteurize milk. You know, I've got other things going on. I've got small children, et cetera, et cetera, but I want to have the goats and these are my kids' 4-H project and et cetera, et cetera. And it works, works for you. Go for it. Who, who am I to tell you differently? Um, have, and I've seen people that, that damn race and their kids get huge. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I will say this too. Back when I first got back into dairy goats again, and I was working 12 hour shifts, and I was working all night long. We did kind of a combination of dam raising and um, feeding pooled raw milk with our kids because mm-hmm. I didn't want the, the crazy, crazy dam raised kids, which I've had experience with before, where you can never catch them. And when you show them, they, they brace themselves like a meat yeah. goat and, and they hate they hate being handled. So um, we would leave our babies with their moms all night long. And then when I would get home from a 12 hour shift at seven in the morning, I'd go out and milk them and separate moms and babies. And they were apart all day long. And then before I went to work that night, I milked them again. And um, it really worked out well. Our kids grew well, but they also used a lamb bar easily. And our moms had good production. Uh, for the most part, we had those ones that held off and didn't want, you know, held their milk back for their babies. But it really was a um, a good way of working out things. I just felt so dang guilty because in the back of my head, I was saying, you're not supposed to damn raise dairy goats, you know. So um, I, I think it's one of those things that you do have to figure out what works for you and um, kind of go from there. I will say one thing. My production that year was just crazy. Because those does had that mammary system stimulated all night long. Mm -hmm. And so um, it really did seem to bump up production. It made it very nice um, for shows. So I don't know. It's interesting. I think think whatever floats your boat. Did you see teats that were more on the outside then of that or because of dam raising? Uh, You mean, um, so the only problems that I saw with teats in (laughs) anyway, Come on, guys. I'm a French Alpine breeder. Cameron, you know what I'm going to say here. <laughs> a lot of French Alpines kind of didn't have their teats set on the outside a little bit anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, it's something I'm always working on. Um, I didn't really notice that being an issue with it. What I did notice is those does that only had one kid, it was a disaster. It didn't yeah. work well because they didn't do a good job of, of nursing both sides. Then we got lopsided and um, and there was a lot of beating around on those udders as those kids got, got older. So we learned that um, it was great for about the first uh, three or four weeks. And then we separated them all the time because they just, it was just too much wear and tear on the moms. Gotcha. I've seen systems and maybe this is more of a pig thing where they, you know, they have like little gates for the pigs to obviously get out and move around them. But the mama um, 
you know, in an area too that they can get back and feed and whatever. So I think that's a really interesting, you know, um, system for, for dam raising. Um, I, I can tell you with about 99% certainty, I don't ever plan on dam raising. Um, maybe because I've got it ingrained in my brain that we need to pasteurize milk and whatnot. Um, and maybe cause it's just, I'm stuck in my ways. I'd like to say I'm stuck in my ways and I'm old, but I'm young and I'm stuck in my ways, which isn't good. Um, um, but we found that, you know, we can get to socialize with the goats more, um, really get them used to humans getting used to being around us. Uh, for the most part, we know we do have those crazy kids every once in a while, but, um, you know, because we pasteurize milk, we feed it to them. They look forward to seeing us and they're happy to see us. Um, because they're hungry so well and i think it's one of those things that you know if i if i were going to dam raise again and i knew that i had certain kids reserved i would i would do everything in my power to make sure that that kid is friendly and able to take a bottle um i did have a doe last year that was dam raised and i sold to somebody and i just cringed every time i thought about the fact that she is trying to get this poor kid oh on a God. bottle and i hope she'll eat you know because mm-hmm. it's it doesn't happen very often around here i will just say once in a while a yearling that um maybe was one of the last ones to kid and had her kids when i didn't happen to be there and they've already nursed sometimes i'll just say eh, yeah you know what you're doing yeah. great this is fine um, and that was the case in this one, but I sure hate doing that and, and think that you need to be <laughs> clear with your buyers. If they, if this kid doesn't want to take a bottle, you need to let them know that. So there's not any surprises on that road either. Yeah, for sure. Um, moving right so, along. Yeah, go ahead. Something that I've not had to deal with knock on wood, um, is CL problems in my herd, but I also, have seen quite a few posts posts on Facebook lately, people asking, you know, showing a picture is, is this an abscess and, or is this CL and what do I need to do about it? Um, or should I just go ahead and vaccinate my whole herd for it? Um, do you have any experience with this or have any thoughts on this Cameron? Yeah, I have some, I have some thoughts here. Um, again, CL is not a death sentence. Um, that is one thing they get a, a CAE or a CL positive dough and it is, it is gone like that. That's the mindset of some people. Um, CL can be managed and I've seen some, some very nice goats that have, um, CL. Um, is it attractive to see though? No, it's, it's not, it's not an attractive thing to see in the show bar show, show ring here. Um, but, and some people do vaccinate it. Um, I will say, and I've heard from people when you do vaccinate it, um, you know, they do have, might have some inverse reactions to it. Um, milk production might drop, body condition might drop as well. So, um, that's kind of my, my, my CL banter there for the most part. Well, to me, it seems like, um, if that's one of those things that you can avoid getting into your herd at all, at all costs, try to avoid it. But again, if you have a really, um, strong contributor to genetic advancement in your herd just having a cl is not a reason to walk away from that animal yeah i don't think i I you're exactly right you're exactly due consideration on whether or not you can manage it yeah you are exactly right there Uh, i have heard from people that they can be a pain to manage at some point um but it's it's not a death sentence 
Um, but again, it goes back to what are your goals are as a herd as well. In my, because in my opinion, you know, you get CAA, CL, not a death sentence. That goat can still live a, a fairly productive lifestyle. Lifestyle, do very well in the show ring, milk very well, um, produce nice kids. Um, but you know, maybe they just have something wrong with us and. Um, you know, that's kind of how I feel about myself. I know I have something wrong with me, but I still live a fairly productive lifestyle. <laughs> don't we all, Cameron? Don't we all? <laughs> yes. Yes, that, that's a big one. So, there. go ahead. Do you test for yonis in your herd? No, I never have. So, a lot of this conversation when we talk about disease prevention is I was asking some of these questions to Catherine. And she uh, she kind of laughed at me when I said yonis. And I was like, why? She was like, well, you, when you get yonis, you pretty much seem to call the goat immediately. And I know it's been done in like Nigerian dwarfs. I think that's where it's you've seen more yonis um, testing done. And they need to be called immediately. And apparently they have to be registered with like the FDA or USDA or something. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I think. Now, don't quote me on that, but I I, I think. Well, I, I'll tell you what my what my knowledge of yonis is. I think it's a lot more prevalent in boar goats than what it is in dairy goats. I'm not saying it's not in dairy goats, but I think that there has been a lot more of it with boar goats. CL, same way. I think mm-hmm. you see a lot more of that with boar goats, probably because they just... Um, to quote my vet, inject it with some formaldehyde and go on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's not so much of a big deal. Um, you know, I when I first got into goats, I tested every year for yonis because um, um, an acquaintance of mine had yonis on their farm and lost some goats to it. So I was a little bit nervous about it, but I don't test for it anymore either. Yeah, I um, have Certainly if I had an animal that was wasting and had chronic diarrhea, that would be one of the first things I'd test for, but yeah, I've, I've never yeah. seen yonis to begin with. Um, I know it's something out there and I know it's, um, when some people do buy goats, they would like a full, uh, spectrum of stuff done and, and yonis and what, and yonis is one of them. Um, I've never seen it before. I, and I really, I really don't even know what it looks like. And that, that sounds really bad. I've read about it, but I, I really haven't seen it in a goat. As a seller, Cameron, does it offend you at all if somebody tells you that they want a full panel, a full biosecurity panel completed on that animal before they would buy it? No, not really. Probably in my younger days, five, seven years ago or so, it might have offended me because it meant they didn't trust me as a breeder. But when you flip this, this, the situation, you be in their shoes and you want to make sure if you have a closed herd that you don't bring anything in because you bought a new goat. You know, it, it makes sense. So I, I get it. Yeah, I get it too. It doesn't offend me either. It, it doesn't offend. It might, and I will say this, it might take me more time for you to pick up the goat because I do have to run these tests uh, for you. And there will be an added cost. Uh, even if you don't even buy the goat, there will be an added cost to that because I have to take time. I have to figure out how to draw blood. I don't know how to draw blood. That's public knowledge. Catherine comes and does it. God bless her soul. Um, but I, I've got to draw blood. I've got to send it off the labs. I've got to pay postage. I've got to pay fees. You know, it, it is an added expense, but I will do it if you right. request it. Right. I feel the same way. I, it doesn't, it really doesn't offend me. Actually, it kind of makes me happy when people want that. It's and, and I don't take it that it's that they don't trust me because if the shoe were on the other foot, I would do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. For um, sure. So, 
you know, next on your list just kind of dovetails right into that. Um, uh, Nubians that are carriers for um, just six. Uh, yes, the, the the bad gene I call it Nubians here. Yes, the bad gene. Yes. Um, I'm not you know I'm not a Nubian breeder, and I got out of Nubians before that was even discussed. But let's talk about that a little bit. Yes, GS G G six S normal, GS six normal. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah, sorry, I had to go to a Nubian website, and I knew they had it on there. God bless you, Sarah Cohen Wahlberg, and your transparency there. So, um, yes, G six S normal, uh, and there are two ways to do it. There are verified by parentage, where um, they might both parents might be DNA typed. Or, um, or, and they just approve it by parentage or they come normal by a test. So, you know, because I'm a nerd, mm -hmm. G6 sulfatase deficiency is an inherited autosomal recessive metabolic defect that occurs in Nubian goats and related crosses. Huh. So but there we go. It almost kind of sounds to me like, like PKU disease in people. Uh -huh. Or some of those other metabolic things like that. So when they say Nubian crosses, so does that mean that this is something that could also be a concern for um, um, like kinder goat people or um, La Manchas or other yeah. crosses that have Nubians back behind them? Well, it's really interesting you say that because I remember listening to Caroline Lawson. And if you listen, Caroline, thank you, Lawson, for, for pointing this out at the board of directors meeting. Um, she used to work at one of the testing agencies for this, and um, she found out that there was actually alpines that had this um, gene in them as well. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's scary. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, um, yet I don't test my alpines. Do no, I don't, I don't test my alpines. I didn't even know it was a thing until 2020. No, no me neither. 2020 was a year of bad news for everyone, so... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so, um, if you're a Nubian breeder, then I'm guessing that there's some stigma attached to selling animals that are a carrier for this, but yet I have read enough to know that one of the most popular Nubian bucks that's behind probably a good 75%, if not more of the Nubian, um, bloodlines was a carrier, right? Uh, was that Frosty? Who was that? Um, hey, we're gonna was it Frosty or maybe his sire? Or maybe I don't his, remember. Uh, yeah. But yeah, maybe. It goes, back, it goes back to Marvin somehow. So Yes. So um, to some people and, and so, some Nubian breeders sell only on parentage. Some of them will sell on typed as well. I mean, they advertise for it. For me, I'm not a Nubian breeder, but um, if I if I put my hat, my Nubian breeding hat on here, and I bought goats that were carriers for this, um, I would be disappointed. I would be upset with the buyer or the seller. If they didn't disclose it. If they didn't disclose it, exactly. Or you could say, hey, I know both these parent, this parent is, um, you know, a carrier and this one isn't. So, you know, you I don't think there's a chance then, but he becomes heterozygous, I think. I think. I'm not an expert on this. And so I just, I saw it and I was like, oh, that might be interesting to take the gloves off there. So it's one of those things that if you breed a carrier to a carrier, you have a high probability of having offspring that 
have have the problem, correct? I think so, yes. But if you breed a carrier to a non-carrier, you're probably okay, though the offspring may be a carrier. Correct. Hmm. Okay, so it sounds to me like, again, I guess maybe I'm being a Pollyanna here, if everybody is transparent about what they're doing and about what their animal's carrier status is, it should be something that could be managed easily and not a death not a uh, death sentence to an animal that comes up as a carrier, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Interesting. I think, okay. Yes. So I, I think there's this whole dilemma on this here um, about this information. So um, Nubian breeders tend to try to disclose this stuff as well. So if you're a Nubian breeder out there, so, and, and go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so this is one of the things that I remember them discussing Um after the convention last year on um, whether or not the carrier status should be listed on registration papers. Correct. Yeah. I, and I think in in full transparency, if the animal has been tested, it probably should. Well, um, so there is a precedence for that in the dog world. Um, When I raised English Mastiffs, um, PRA is something that we, um, tested our mastiffs for and um, it contributed to blind congenital blindness in dogs and so um, your pedigree stated if they were pra normal or um you know if if they were what their status was and that you know that's just part of of saying who this dog is so i could see it working that way for nubians too it's kind of like in sheep and i remember doing judging contests and whatnot and they always gave you a, a question about you know, the sheep, they give, they show you the sheep and it'd be a keep cold class. If you've ever done livestock judging and they would have the codes there, the genetics of scrapies, essentially, whether it was QR or RR and, and what all of that meant there. So I'm showing that there. So I know in the sheep world, they, they do look at that because it's a genetics of scrapies to my knowledge. Yeah. Okay. So Nubian breeders, let's just taking my gloves off here. Mm-hmm solve this problem everybody be transparent and move forward you know if enough i i would say that if enough people did not want to have animals that were carriers wouldn't you think that the market would get away would uh eventually have that attrition out wouldn't you i think? think there i think there would be um i think it's got to start from the top level though and i know some top nubian breeders have done this here um and and, and kind of expunge their herd of of um g uh excuse me g6s uh, animals that may be carriers and whatnot so um yeah I, again it starts at the top but also there's a side of me as well that flips this and say well why do why does the association care about my goats and you know why do i need to get them tested and why do i want to share this information with the genetic lab and it goes back to data kind of data security and data data privacy uh, of, of animals. Oh, you mean kind of like talking about clones or DNA testing? Yes, perfect transition here. <laughs> Gloves are still off, right, Cameron? Oh, they always. They've been off all day. <laughs> which one? Which which of those lovely mixed bags do you want to delve into first? Clones. Let's talk about clones because I would Let's love to clone clones. some goats. <laughs> I would, I would love oh, to. there are some goats that I would love to own a clone of. That's for sure. You're, you're exactly right. Um, but the question becomes, is it ethical? 
Um, there, obviously, there's that ethics question, but also, does it defeat the purpose of why we breed livestock? Hmm. Well, so I would I would bet you that dairy cattle, the dairy cattle industry, may have a little different answer on that than what maybe goat dairy goat industry would, or maybe yeah. not. Um, what are, What are your thoughts? You know, well. So looking at cattle versus goats, we're really lucky with goats that twins, triplets, and quads are pretty common with dairy goats. And it only takes five months to get a doe from breeding date to um, kidding date. Whereas with cattle, you hope really, you really only want them to have one. You'd rather not have twins. And it takes nine months to get that. So um, you can make a lot more... um, of genetically superior animals with goats than you can with cattle until you start looking at reproductive technology, which, you know, I'm really lucky that I have a brother-in-law who's very well versed in that. So um, going from that aspect though, my personal feeling on clones are if you have the money and you have the desire to do that, my hat's off to you because, you know, genetically you can make some pretty cool advancement with clones um, just because if you have one national champion quality alpine and you clone her well now you have two alpines that you can breed two different ways and get some really cool genetic diversity based on the strengths of this one genetic line and and can do a lot with that Um, and also having said that though i don't think that that the concern that you're just going to keep cloning and cloning and cloning one amazing animal and win everything with that animal is necessarily something that's going to happen because we all know that management and environment has a lot to do with how those animals turn out as well. So that's my thought. What do you think, Cameron? Yeah, I I think along the same lines as well, but you know, one reason why I've really liked dairy goats and, and I think about it as compared to other livestock and I've talked about this is because I like the skill it takes to breed goats. I think there's a skill, a certain skill set that's needed to think about lines and pedigrees and how it'll interact and whether it works or whether it doesn't. And I feel like cloning might take a little of the fun out of that. Uh Uh-huh. I agree. I I think I I, I would think so too. So that's, that's my thought as well. And, you know, as compared to other industries, dairy goats, you see a lot of dairy goat breeders that go and they, they breed that you have homebred national champions more than you have non homebred national champions here. And when you look at other industries, pigs, cattle, um, and, and excuse me, beef, cattle, uh, sheep, they go out and they buy their animals. So, um, and maybe they are clones. Maybe they do come from that and whatnot, but I think it just takes a lot of the skill out of it. If you could throw a lot of money at it, at, at saying, hey, let's just go clone some goats uh, there. Um, but also, I do see your point as well where you're like, okay, I could try seven different things genetically because I have three different animals cloned from it. Right. But, you know, also, okay, so let's say that cloning really does take off in the dairy goat world. Um, it, I mean, I guess it could happen kind of like yeah. – um, is it a, is she a red Holstein or is she a milking shorthorn um, apple who yes, like apple, dominated? Yes. Who, I mean, even I know who apple is. Yeah. I don't know her breed, but I could sure point her out to you. You know, yeah. um, you know, let's say that we had that happen with the dairy goat industry. You know, it, 
you can look at an animal and say this is this is a phenomenal representative of this breed but i'll tell you i would have a lot more um, admiration for a breeder who could win national champion with five or six different does over the course of years than i would with a breeder who could win with five or six clones of one of one doe i agree and it, and it kind of goes back to and i made this a, my point in other podcasts is you can see the consistencies of a breeding program as well there as compared to Hey, I just literally copy and pasted, for lack of a better terms, five different does, five different years. Sure, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, but I also think I think that ADGA needs to have a um, process in place for registering and identifying clones and handling those clones offsprings and making sure that we can do this um, in a way that that. isn't punitive towards clones, but also um, clearly designates them as a clone. Yeah, I think so they have a, like a task it, force. It just have to be worked out. They have a task force led by we your can't... neighbor to the west, I think. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, well, yes, by... I guess I did know that. Hi, hi, Levi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes. you know, I think that I think that Adga cannot afford to put their head in the sand and just say. Uh, we're just not going to do anything with clones because clones are happening and clones will continue to happen. So yeah, it's just, how are we going to handle it? You are exactly correct there. And I think along those lines of clones is there's DNA testing and, and you know, that kind of goes along the lines of, of G six S testing as well, because obviously that is on the DNA strand and is in, in the genetics there, but um, you know, we are manding, we are mandatory DNA typing, uh, for bucks here, uh, 2023, correct? Yes. And then that you cannot register offspring out of a buck unless he is typed. If he's born, I think bucks starting that are born in 2023, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So yeah, that's all along those lines. I think it opens up the question, okay, uh, you know, when we, when we do have this, when, how soon will it be that we have to type our does? And then the question becomes, okay, who controls all of that information? This sounds kind of a little conspiracy theory, but who controls all of that information <laughs> on the goats? Like, like are we, is Adga, and I, I don't know this, and it might be in the guidebook, or maybe one of the directors might know this, is Adga selling dairy goat information to companies to develop things, you know, or, or selling our goats information because I don't want, you know, scandals, genetics out there for companies to know, you know? Yeah. Gosh, I didn't think about that. And I know, you know, I know that there have been people who are, who several years on, on social media have been very vocal about the fact that um, when they send their animal into Adga for for DNA testing that they feel like that they should get the entire, is it the whole whole DNA transcript or genome or whatever you want to call it back on their animal. Now for me, it'd be one of those things I'd look at and say, okay, I don't understand (laughs) this. I just knew that I've got it done and that's good enough for me. Um, So yeah, there is a question about what gets done with that information, if anything. Um, And is it really valid information? You know, cause, cause I've had people who have argued that um, when, when you have an animal D- DNA verified, um, what is that really saying? What is that saying about that animal? What is that saying about the integrity of the pedigree behind that animal? Mm-hmm. Now um, being totally transparent here, 
my goal is to have my entire mature herd, two years old and up, DNA, DNA, just to have that. Yeah. Um, to me, I feel like it is a, it's an added assurance of uh, the integrity of the pedigrees that I'm offering. And I want to do that. I, that's just something that's important to me. I'm an ADGA plus member. I don't have a big herd. So it's really not a, a big thing for me to eventually get that done. Um, having said that, though, it has never really entered my mind when I've gone to purchase a new herd sire, whether or not that herd sire had been DNA typed. I'll, I'll just throw that out there. So maybe that's not being um, very congruent with myself, but that's how I look at it. Yeah. And then there's me over here sitting over here with my tinfoil hat on thinking about all the conspiracy theories that Edgar could be using with my goat's DNA. But I, I think, <laughs> I think, but in all seriousness about that, as I put my tinfoil hat back on, there are things to think about when you do DNA that, when you do disclose that private information of a goat's genome. Um, yes, it's important to get more goat research out there and whatnot, but also remember this is your personal property. These animals are technically your personal property as well when it comes to DNA testing. And maybe you don't want that information out there, or maybe you don't want that information to get thrown into the wrong hands. At, so, at some point, you know, we might have an entire goat database that, you know, Pfizer or Alenco could dig into and they could develop specific treatments or tailor specific things to us as breeders to sell them. And that might be, we might see a huge big data revolution when it comes to goats. <laughs> well, we might be, and then, you know, that could be really cool, especially given the fact that there are very few medications or vaccines that are goat specific. So you know, that, that could be a good thing. Yes. I also feel like another good thing, but um, given discussions on social media lately maybe maybe there are others who would disagree it's a good thing to help prove um the integrity of our herd books so yes. that's kind of the flip side of things if we say that dna testing is important to us as an as an association and as an industry we also have i again, gloves off, feel like that we also have to be willing to say, um, along with that come consequences. And if there are screw ups in pedigrees or so forth, we have to be willing to own up to that and say, okay, well, can this be fixed? Or did we just um, boot a whole line of animals out of the herd book? Yeah, I, I that that becomes that there. So, I two very different opinions on that there, and obviously I'm gonna take off my tinfoil hat now, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, I, I I do see I do see a lot of um, good things coming from DNA testing. I will agree though. I was part of the group that was very adamant on not getting the mandatory DNA testing of of bucks past. Um, I thought it was um, an added expense. To be honest, um, I'm I'm still in that boat um, when it comes to that, partially because I put on my tinfoil hat. Um, but also, I, I do think there are other things to consider there as well. So um, that's a little disclaimer there. But DNA testing is is coming, right? And you know, I I sometimes put on a tinfoil hat about some things. Um, DNA testing of bucks is not something that I. I don't have a problem with it at all. Um, I really do feel like that um, 
if you're going to register a buck because you feel like he's worthy of using for breeding, he's worthy. It's, it's worth it to have him DNA tested just because a buck can have so many more offspring than a doe. And, um, you know, come on, I have Alpines, those bucks, man, they can scale a cattle panel without hardly <laughs> blinking an eye. So if I can have some type of insurance that a breeding is what I say that breeding is, even if the buck gets out, I'm going to take, I'm going to grab onto that. For me, yeah. that's really important. Yeah, I definitely see the value there. So I'm going to take off my tinfoil hat and I'm going to put my gloves back on and, uh, <laughs> I think this has been this has been a really fun podcast, and, I, and it's, we're running kind of long, and I want to respect the listeners' time. So this has been fun. Let's do it again next week. This has been fun, yeah. And so um, next week, I think we've got part two of our um, gloves off episodes. Yes, we are. We're going to be talking um, about some different topics and shifting focus here. We're going to be talking about uh, some some gloves off in the show ring, some gloves off about breed standards, some gloves off about um, milk milk testing and whatnot there. So, um, yeah, I, I think next week is another gloves off, more fun. Uh, Laura and Cameron debate about everything under the sun, and I promise to not put my tinfoil on, hat on very often. <laughs> you can put it on anytime you want to, Cameron. Um, <laughs> So listeners, if there are topics that you would like to see us take gloves off and discuss, please let us know through our um, Goat Gab Facebook page, or you can um, message Cameron or myself at any time. Maybe there's a topic that you were really hoping that we would hit and we haven't hit it yet. So, um, you know, as always, we're really open to questions and, and uh, any suggestions that you guys have, keep them coming. Um, We've had some good comments that um, uh, about different uh, kidding processes and different ways that they get their does ready for kidding season. And it's always fun to learn from people around the country. So uh, keep those ideas coming. And yeah. thank you guys for being listeners. Yeah. Don't forget if you haven't already, follow us on the Facebook. If you're on the Facebook, uh, Goat Gab Podcast, uh, as well as find us on Apple and Spotify. Um, and you could probably find us on the internet somewhere as well. Absolutely. Well, have a fantastic week, Cameron and, and listeners, you guys have a great week too. Yes. Uh, keep safe and thanks for being part of our podcast. Thank you.